All right. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. So we're going to be spending our time together. And just to catch you up a little bit, after 14 chapters describing God's delivering his people from Egypt, they find themselves walking with him in the wilderness. And so this morning, uh, we're going to think deeply about this wilderness, what it's like and its temptations are. We're going to talk about why God would lead his people there. And then we're going to reflect on things God teaches us from walking with him in the wilderness. With that being said, uh, the big idea that I'd like for you to take away this morning is this. God leads his people into the wilderness to test them and to prove his faithfulness. God leads his people into the wilderness to test them and to prove his faithfulness. So turn to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. I'll pray for us, read the passage aloud, and then we'll dig in. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you so thankful that we can call you Father. So thankful that you hear our prayers, that you have revealed yourself in your word. Lord, I'm reminded this morning of the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 7, where he said that those who hear and receive his words and put them into practice are like those who build their house on the rock. Though the storm comes and the rain pounds and the winds blow, that house stands. But for all of those who hear his words and do not put them into practice are like those who build their house on the sand. And when the storm comes... It is no longer. Lord, I pray um, that by your spirit that you would fill us, that you would save and sanctify us so that we would be like those who would hear your word and put it into practice, that we may ultimately trust you and obey you. Be with us in this time and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. These are God's words. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. These are God's words. Now, let's dig into them. Like I said, God leads his people into the wilderness to test them and to prove his faithfulness. And so what we'll do this morning is we're going to unpack that claim 
um, by three points. And those are the wilderness temptation, the wilderness test, and the wilderness turn. So first, let's consider the wilderness temptation. Look at verse 22. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Now, typically when I think of the wilderness, um, I think of a forest. Uh, I think of a place filled with trees and brush and green everywhere. But when Moses speaks of the wilderness here, um, he's referring to a different environment. He's likely talking about the desert. And this is by no means the only place in the Bible where people are in this wilderness. Um, If you were to look back in your Bibles, you would see that Ishmael and Hagar spend time there um, after Abraham cast them out when Sarah incites him to do so. If you look at Genesis 37, uh, it's where Joseph is left for dead by his brothers. In the book of Samuel, David flees there from Saul. And Israel, after the kingdom is divided, spends time there as well. And then when you flip over into the New Testament, you would see that Jesus uh, was tempted by Satan there. And he ministered to the crowds there. And it's actually in the wilderness where the disciples confront Jesus and charge him to send home the crowds since there was no food to eat. The wilderness is a place of scarcity and adversity. It is a place where the demand is high and supply is low, where all that you think you need does not equal all that you have. And there's particular temptations to being in a place or situation like that. Sindhil Mullanathan and Eldar Shafir, uh, one a professor at Harvard and the other at Princeton, Um, they give this example from their book on scarcity and its effects. So according to reports given by the U.S. Fire Administration uh, and the National Fire Protection Association, do you know what was one of the two leading causes of deaths for firefighters in 2021? I'll give you a hint. Neither of them have to do with burns from fire, suffocating from smoke, or collapsing buildings. Uh, The first uh, was illnesses related to overexertion or stress. Um, And the second was car-related accidents or crashes on the way to the scene. Now, to those of us outside the firefighter community, that second cause may come as a surprise. But it makes sense, right? I mean, y'all, as soon as the phone rings at a fire station, time becomes a scarcity. Firefighters actually practice getting dressed and ready so that within a minute of the call, they can be in the truck and on the road. And during that rush to the scene, they decide entry and exit strategies. They use computers in the truck uh, to discern the structure of the building. They anticipate possible challenges and on and on and on, all so that when they show up, they can hit the ground running. And you can see that this heightened focus on time can become a neglect or a blindness for things like remembering to put on your seatbelt or looking both ways before crossing an intersection. And this is what Mullenathan and uh, Saphir, they they call this combination of the heightened focus and then neglect. They call it tunnel vision. 
okay? Your heightened focus on one thing can make you blind towards everything else. And, and we see somewhat of a similar behavior or pattern here in Israel, don't we? Their heightened focus on getting food and water blinds them, keeping out of their minds who God is and what he has already done for them. Right before our passage, if you just looked, you may have noticed uh, that the formatting of the text looks different. Uh, it looks a lot more like poetry than prose. Um, and that's because right before our passage, Israel is singing. They're celebrating. They're shouting and making a joyful noise to the Lord. And you know why? It's because God just delivered them from Egypt. God's people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And when they cried out to the Lord for deliverance, he heard their cries. He remembered his promises and he sent Moses to lead them out. And after Pharaoh waffled back and forth several times and then finally let Israel go, guess what Pharaoh did? He changed his mind, didn't he? He changed his mind again and he sent armies after Israel, but God parted the Red Sea for Israel to walk across dry land. And once Israel made it across, God released those waters and swallowed up the Egyptians, freeing Israel from their bondage after 400 years. Y'all, this deliverance, if you look forward in your Bibles, it's remembered and reflected on by generation after generation. It's like the paradigmatic salvation that points to the ultimate salvation to come in Jesus. And these Israelites in our passage witnessed this event with their own eyes. Just three days before our passage takes place. But look at them now. Look at Israel now. Three days later, and they forget. They grumble. They complain. If God can part the seas and swallow up whole armies to rescue his people, don't you think that they would think he could provide them some water, that God could lead them to water? But they forget God's goodness in the past, and they doubt that God will provide for them in the future. Can you think of a place, a situation, or a season in your life that's similar to this wilderness? Maybe it was just a year ago where you saw on the eve where you sat on the eve of 2023 and you imagined what this past year would look like and now you're on the eve of 2024 and you look back and you can hardly fathom how different those two things are what you imagined and what it's been maybe god has led you somewhere you would have never gone yourself and as you sit there and if you're honest with yourself Aren't we not much different than Israel? When hardship comes our way, aren't we quick to despair? Aren't we quicker to doubt and anxiety than to trust and peace? You see, the wilderness tempts Israel and us to forget and doubt. It's a difficult place. But remember... Remember, it is God himself who 
through Moses who leads his people there. This God, the same God, can use the highs of the exodus and the lows of the wilderness for his own glory and for the good of his people. But how? How does God use this experience? That leads us to our second point. After God shows up and provides for his people, look at what he does in the last half of verse 25. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Let's talk about the wilderness test. So the Lord uses the wilderness to test his people. Listen to verse 26. It says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, And do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statues. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Notice the verbs in this test. Okay, notice the verbs in this test. Israel must listen and do. They must give ear and keep. In other words, when all that they see in the wilderness is scarcity and lack, and they are tempted to believe that starvation and dehydration are inevitable, they must hold on to what they hear in God's words. Now, similar to the way a math test exposes someone's understanding or lack of understanding of mathematical concepts, or uh, similar to the way a driver's test exposes someone's ability or inability to operate a vehicle, God uses the wilderness test to expose something about his people. But what does God want, what, what, what does God want to expose? What is God after here? Okay, to be clear, God doesn't use the wilderness test to expose their knowledge. Okay, Israel already revealed that they know and understand what the Lord has done by delivering them from Egypt. Israel sings and rejoices. Look at Exodus 15, verse 13. It says, you, the Lord, have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. And again in verse 16, they say of themselves that they are the people whom you, the Lord, have purchased They know they have been purchased and redeemed. So what is God after? What does he want to expose? When I was 12 years old, um, I went over to my friend Jake's house. Uh, Jake and I, we played on the same baseball team uh, that season, and he was like a really good batter. Um, He just hit home runs left and right. And one day, uh, we were in the dugout, and he told me the secret to hitting. We're 12 years old, and he's got it. Now, I thought it was just because he was like a foot taller than everyone else in the league, but he assured me it was something different. He told me this. He said his dad had built a batting cage in his backyard and bought a pitching machine for he and his older brother to use. And so what Jake would do is, is he would crank that pitching machine all the way up, which is like way faster than any 12-year-old could throw. And then he'd stand in the batter's box, and he'd take some swings. And it made everything in the game seem slower. So I went over to Jake's house that day. He set the pitching machine up, cranked it all the way up. He stood in the batter's box, and he took a couple swings. But when it was my turn, 
I can remember not seeing the ball, but just hearing like the hum and the hiss of it, like blow by me out of that machine. And y'all, guess what? I just froze. I froze like this. I was nervous. You know, I had seen Jake do it right before me. I knew the ball wasn't going to hit me, but I didn't trust it. I didn't trust it. And y'all, in a similar way, Israel has seen the Lord's saving power. They have confessed with their own lips the significance of this rescue act. They know they belong to him. They know that they are his. They know that he is theirs. And they know that all that he is capable of. But will they trust him? Will they trust him? Friends, at the heart of the wilderness test is God's desire to expose his people's answer to this question. Will you trust me? Will you trust me when everything that you see leads you to believe that I'm not with you or I'm not for you? Will you trust me? Now, on the surface, it seems like uh, Israel's answer to that question is just an emphatic no, right? We read over this text. I mean, look, here when they come to Marah, they can't drink the water. And what do they do? They complain. They grumble. In Exodus 16, they get hungry and they complain and grumble again. In Exodus 17, they go without water. And they complain some more. It seems like Israel just rebels and complains their way through the wilderness and never trusts God to provide. But beneath the surface, there's a little more to consider. Okay, as the wilderness wandering continues, we get more insight. Okay, so do this. If you've got your Bibles or your phones out, turn over to Exodus 17. Um, it's the third narrative in this section. <clears throat> So after setting out from the wilderness of sin, Israel demands Moses for water again. And look, look at how Moses responds in verse 3. Israel's talking to Moses, but look at what he says. He says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And after God provides water again, look at how the event is remembered in verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, the lack of provision seems to Israel like a lack of presence. In other words, the question that is beneath Israel's question about provision is actually a question about God's presence. <clears throat> they want to know. They want to know if God is with them because God has made promises to deliver them from Egypt, which he did, to bring them into the promised land, which hasn't happened yet, and to be their God. And when their needs are not met, they question if God is there, they question if he cares, and they question if he's going to remember his promises. So what does Israel do? They take the wilderness test and they turn it on him. And they say, can we trust you? That brings us to our last point, the wilderness turn. 
The test is clear, okay? God wants to expose whether his people will trust him or not. But his people turn it on him and test him. So, so what does God teach us here in the wilderness? What, what can we learn from this? We learn that God can be trusted. We learn that God can be trusted. Look at verse 23. When the people went three days into the wilderness and found no water and then came to the waters of Marah, it says that the water was bitter. Okay, in Israel here, they're not being like uptight. Um, it's not just like they prefer a different taste. No, it's, um, it's actually, this is, this is a sign that the water might be poisonous. Okay, so you've walked in the wilderness for three days now. You finally come up on some water, and then guess what? You can't drink it. But what, is, what does God do? What does the text say God does? It says that he, he has Moses throw a log into the water to cleanse it so that Israel can drink it. Notice that God uses this one event to do two things. He uses it to test his people's trust, but on the flip side, to prove his own trustworthiness. Do you see that? He uses it to prove his own faithfulness. And y'all, God's faithfulness, I think sometimes we're tempted to talk as if it's like vague or abstract, but his faithfulness is displayed in the very context of his people's needs. And get this, despite their lack of trust in him. Do you see that? His people asked him, what shall we drink? And God shows up. He treats this poisonous water that they saw was poisonous, and he gives them this very water to drink. God's faithfulness is displayed in the very context of his people's needs, and despite their lack of trust in him. Later on in Exodus, Israel is going to complain uh, about God's seeming inability to lead them. So here, I think it's safe to assume that um, as they come up to these poisonous waters, the thought of like, can we trust God out here? Can we trust God in this wilderness, uh, trust him to lead us out here? Uh, must have been bouncing around in their heads. But look at verse 27. Look in the text at verse 27. It says, now the, now the text, it doesn't specify exactly how long after the incident in Marah that they came to Elim. But judging by the fact that there's no change of days in the text, it seems like Elim was right around the corner. And did you notice the details about this place? Y'all, there were 12 springs of water and there were 70 palm trees. This place stands in stark contrast to the scarcity of the wilderness. This is a place of abundance. And doesn't Israel, camping by the water, kind of whisper of Psalm 23, where the Lord is shepherd, leads his sheep, and gives rest? To the potential question of, can we trust God to lead us out here? The answer is yes. God can be trusted. His people needed a leader, and God proved himself faithful yet again. And y'all, this pattern continues to occur. In the next chapter, Israel grumbles again because they're hungry, and there's no food to eat, and they are weary from wandering. And God speaks with Moses, and he makes bread rain from heaven, and he gives them meat to eat, and he gives them rest 
To a people who were hungry, God fed them. And to a people who were weary, God gave rest. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 17, Israel was thirsty and God provided water so that they could drink. So here in the wilderness, God displays his faithfulness, his trustworthiness again and again and again. Not vaguely, not abstractly, but as a healer, as a provider, as a leader. God is faithful. So when God's people turn the test on him and ask, can you be trusted? Y'all, the answer is yes. It is a resounding yes. He can be trusted in the wilderness. But if you continue reading, um, you'll see that the first generation of Israel, this, uh, this people right here, they wouldn't trust him. And then the next generation of Israel, they struggled to trust God in the promised land. But y'all, God continued to show up again and again, proving he could be trusted. And if you want to know the truth, you'll see that his people failed the the test to trust him every single time it was administered. First with Adam, then with Israel, and now today with us. But God, despite our lack of trust in him, he remained faithful. He has sent one to stand in our place. He led this one into the wilderness. And guess what? He remained faithful. No food, no water for 40 days. Just like those 40 years that Israel wandered. He was tempted by Satan himself. And he stood tall. He didn't fall. He did not fail. He trusted his Father in heaven even to the point of dying on the cross for the sins of others like you and me. Saints, you can trust God in the wilderness because Jesus did. You have access to the deliverer and the provider no matter where you find yourself. And guess what? You do not walk alone. No, you have been placed in a community with other brothers and sisters to walk with you As we follow him, you can trust him, saints. Later in the New Testament, um, the author of the book of Hebrews, actually the passage that had Kelly read, um, he picks up on this wilderness testing uh, from redemptive history. And he holds up the first generation of Israel as a warning to his audience. An audience who is in a wilderness season of their own. And this first generation of Israel was a people who knew God, but ultimately did not trust him. So as we start this new year, where are you? Where are you? When trials and testing come, who will you trust? Turn to him. If you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, uh, we are so glad that you're here. We are so glad that you're here. I hope that you see that you can see in this Exodus passage that, that God can handle your hard questions and your complaints. Okay, we see it elsewhere in the Psalms where God, through the psalmist, actually encourages uh, believers to come to him with hard questions. And then notice that Jesus, God in the flesh, 
He's never too busy for anyone's questions. Actually, throughout all of the Gospels, he's fielding questions throughout. Um, He loves questions, and he makes time for all who come to him. And his apostles, those who followed him, they actually urge us to cast all of our anxieties on God. But you need to know this. If after all the questioning, you choose to not trust in him, you will be judged. Hear me when I say this. God loves your questions. God loves your questions. But once Christ returns or calls you home, there is no more questioning. At that point, you must answer. Will you trust him or not? If you find yourself this morning in a wilderness season, here's something to consider. Maybe God, by his kindness, is using this wilderness season you're in in order to show you the emptiness of putting your trust in anyone or anything other than him. Friends, compared to the scarcity and lack found everywhere else, There is abundance and life in him. God leads his people into the wilderness to test them and to prove his faithfulness. It is a difficult place, but you can trust him there. He goes before you there and he leads his people through it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its witness to your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you are a God who not only leads his people into the wilderness, but goes into the wilderness himself. And Lord, there you do not fall, but you stand up and you alone can be trusted in the wilderness. You alone are sufficient in the wilderness. And so, Lord, point us to Jesus, the ultimate display of your faithfulness. And Lord, compel us to believe in him and to follow him. Lord, I ask now that by your spirit, that you would comfort and convict us where you see fit. For those who are wandering and far from you, Lord, I pray that you would nudge and prod and bring them back. For those who are hurting, Lord, be their comfort. Lord, for those who do not know you, reveal yourself to them. Give them seeing eyes.